0: Well, let's open the scriptures to the Gospel of John. The title of this message is Understanding Jesus. Understanding Jesus. I've been reading through the Gospel of John lately and noticed how often people misunderstood Jesus. Jesus. And it seemed like quite often that had to do with the fact that he was saying things of a spiritual nature and they were not picking up on that at all. Now, I think it's pretty incredible that the greatest teacher in the world, the greatest teacher the world has ever known was, in some ways, the most misunderstood. He often used stories and sayings and parables that most of his audience did not understand. And this was true even of his disciples. They often just did not grasp the meaning of what he had to say. And sometimes it was not easy to grasp the meaning of what he was saying a number of times Christ actually said to his own disciples are you also without understanding and as I was reading through the gospel of John it it just seemed to me that one of the big problems that his hearers had was that they were constantly thinking in earthly terms They were not spiritually minded. They would try to analyze his words from an earthly, physical perspective and consequently not understand what he was saying. And often you find the questions were very telling. Now, it's good to ask questions, but the way they would ask the question, you could tell they were thinking totally in the wrong direction about what he was saying, in the earthly direction. They were questions that showed an unspiritual uh, mindset, a misguided view of what he was saying. So, as you read through John's Gospel, or any of the Gospels for that matter, you see Jesus interacting with many people, his disciples, the Jewish crowds, religious leaders, even the Gentiles. They all had different agendas, different expectations, but in general, this they had in common. They didn't understand him. They just didn't get it. Often they would just walk away wondering, what was he saying? And of course, ultimately, that has to do with the blinding power of sin. But many times this was because of trying to put a literal, physical interpretation on a spiritual truth that Jesus was teaching. Now what I'd like to do is just go through a few examples of this from the from the gospel of John. The first would be found in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is the account of the cleansing of the temple. You remember Christ had gone into the temple there in Jerusalem, overturned the tables of the money changers, drove them out of the temple. And I don't think that part was too hard for the people to understand in terms of what was, at least outwardly, what was going on. They could tell he was very angry concerning what was taking place in the temple, the religious merchandising, the robbery in the name of religion that was taking place there. That, I think, they got. But then you see the Jews questioning him after he did this. So we'll start with verse John chapter 2, verse 18. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us, seeing that you do these things? I mean, you've you've gone into the temple and done all this uh, to the money changers and the temples and the animals that were there. What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, It took forty-six years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now, you have to say that this answer that Jesus gave, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, that was a, a pretty cryptic answer, actually. Here they were in the setting of the temple. It, would be, it was natural for them to think, well, he's talking about the temple here. Uh, they certainly missed it because they thought he was speaking of a physical temple. And I would say this, if you and I were there that day, we probably would have thought that too. You see, we were given the meaning of what he said right here in the in the account, but that that's an editorial comment they didn't have they didn't have the Gospel of John at the time, and so when Jesus said this, they totally took it in the physical realm, weren't thinking spiritually at all and uh I doubt if anyone understood what he was saying that day. So one thing we see from this is that sometimes Jesus said things that could only be understood later and wouldn't be understood without a spiritual understanding of his words. You know, he said several times to his own disciples, what I do, what I say, you don't understand now, but you'll understand later. Um, to me, it's amazing the way this verse was used. These Jewish leaders later misquoted these words that they misunderstood at his trial to try to get him condemned. They misquoted in the sense that he, they said, He said, I will destroy this temple. And in three days, raise it up. Well, he didn't say that. But they were using that in order to get him condemned and crucified. What they were doing through their wrong understanding of what he said brought about the true meaning of his words. Now, think about that God moves in mysterious ways. What they were doing by their misunderstanding of his words actually brought about the true meaning of his words. They sought to destroy his life, but he rose up three days later as a great sign and testimony of being who he said he was. Mm -hmm. So there's one example of people taking a physical understanding of what he said, making a wrong application and missing out on what he really meant well let's go on to someone else who did not understand the spiritual nature of christ's teaching john chapter 3 and we'll begin with verse 1 this account of Jesus' conversation with nicodemus Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, here's the question that shows he's thinking in the wrong direction, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it and do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So here's a teacher in Israel coming to one he calls a teacher and he doesn't understand basically Jesus is saying to Nicodemus you have to be spiritually minded before you can understand spiritual things you have to be alive in the spiritual realm to see spiritual things Nicodemus interpreted this radical spiritual rebirth that Jesus was talking about. He he took it in total physical terms. How can an old person be born again? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Now, in the previous account that we looked at, Jesus was dealing with Jews when he was dealing with the Jews at the temple, He didn't really expect them to understand his statement. But here Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher in Israel. This is absolutely basic to understanding anything about my kingdom. You're supposed to be a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. There's no way you could be teaching God's people Israel, if you don't understand the spiritual nature of the kingdom and the necessary of having a new spiritual nature imparted to you. You just you you couldn't be teaching anything rightly. This is the basic thing. Nicodemus' questions show that he did not had not experienced what Jesus was telling him all about. Well, let's go on to another example. John chapter 4. This is the woman at the well. A very famous account. And we'll read uh, 7 through 15. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to, to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Again, thinking, thinking in earthly terms, thinking in physical terms, you see. So her question shows she was not understanding the spiritual nature of what he was saying. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Again, she's still not, she's not, thinking spiritually here she's thinking physically so that i will not thirst nor come all this way here to draw what jesus does here is take this physical setting that he and this woman were in as a way of speaking to her concerning her spiritual need she kept thinking in terms of physical water but Jesus persistently brings her back to, her, to the spiritual reality, especially concerning her sin and his ability to deal with her deep spiritual thirst. You see the, the sin part coming out in the part we didn't read uh, where he talks to her about all the husbands she's had. But he's speaking to her about her deep spiritual need. But she keeps thinking in other terms. In fact, she goes on then and talks, if you remember the account, he goes on to explain to her that the physical locality of worship does not matter. She was concerned about that. uh, Your people worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. What's the right place to worship? Very physically, earthly-minded here. And uh, Jesus said what's really important is that you worship in in a spiritual manner and according to truth. Well, eventually, I think she starts to understand. And one of the indications that she understood is that she left her water pots. (laughs) This is not what he's talking about. There's something far more important than the water I can get out of this this well. She left the water pots behind because Jesus had created a thirst for something far more important than physical water, the water of life. I would just say this as a little aside here. We, We should use these examples of how Jesus talked to people as examples for us. We should be looking for opportunities to take the physical setting or what's taking place physically to bring out spiritual truths. Now, it takes spiritual insight to do this. It takes the help of the spirit. But we should be thinking that way and looking for opportunities to say things that would create some spiritual thirst in people. Use Christ's examples of how he dealt with people in our dealings with others. Well, let's go on to John chapter 4 and verse 31. This is kind of a continuation of this account because uh, the disciples show up, you know, wonder why he's talking to this woman. She leaves her water pots and uh, goes and starts telling everybody in town about this encounter uh, she just had with Jesus. But then it says this in verse 31. In the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now you remember they had gone away into the city to buy food. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Okay, so he's saying he, he's drawing them out here, you see, saying something to them. It's very similar to what he was saying to this woman at the well. The disciples, therefore, were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Again, what, is, what they're thinking about physical food here, you see. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, Christ had taught his disciples along the line of... Well, for one thing, he taught them that uh, they should hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now he was teaching them that he had spiritual food that they didn't know anything about. So what he's doing here is taking something very common, the food we eat, uh, just like he did with the woman, the water that we drink and drawing out spiritual truth here. Just like physical food keeps the body alive and brings delight, Christ said his satisfaction, his sustenance, was doing the will of God and accomplishing the work that God sent him to do. He said, I, I live off of this. This is where I find delight. Doing the will of God. That work involved announcing the spiritual kingdom that he was establishing. That's what he goes on and talks to him about. Um, the harvest. Fields being white for harvest. But all this had to do with his life and his death and his resurrection and jesus was saying my food is to proclaim the kingdom to establish the kingdom to do god's will this is what he sent me for now this this thing of using food and drink to illustrate spiritual truth is very common in the teaching of christ Why would that be? Well, I think because it illustrates that uh, just like food and drink are so obviously necessary for life, that His truth, His teaching, His life, death, and resurrection are vital for our life. Now, one of the best examples of this is the next one we want to turn to and that's in John chapter 6 and verse 48 this is such a long account Uh, actually it begins with Christ Feeding the 5,000, miraculously feeding the 5,000 people. But he goes from that into teaching about being the bread of life. And that's the part we'll just pick up in the middle of this. Uh, verse 48. So he's teaching about being the bread of life, and this this is something that they did not understand and, again, tried to put a physical interpretation on. So just look for that as we read through this. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, And drink his blood. You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So he who eats me shall also also live. He also shall live because of me. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this said, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit which gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But some of, of you but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who had not believed and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were walking with him and were not walking with him anymore. Here, Jesus presents spiritual truth in such a strong, even offensive way that even many of his dis- disciples were withdrawing and not walking with him anymore. We're told here that what he said caused many of his hearers to argue with one another saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now the sad fact is that many of those who claim the name of Christ today are still asking that question. They don't get it. They're still asking, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Why is that happening? Well, because they do not understand the spiritual nature of what he's talking about. Obviously, he was not talking about some kind of cannibalism, about physically eating somebody's flesh and actually drinking their blood. When he refers to eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's speaking of enjoying and being satisfied in him and receiving life and sustenance for our souls through trusting in him. Just as food brings enjoyment and sustains life, the life of our physical body, so trusting in Christ especially his atoning death and resurrection life, bring spiritual enjoyment and eternal life. These words of Christ, which seem so offensive, are some of the most glorious words that he ever said. And they bring about, they if properly understood, you see what the Christian life is all about. We have life because of His death. This is what He's talking about, and our life is sustained by trusting in Him and submitting to Him. Eating Christ. What's what does he, think? he says? You got to eat Me. What's He talking about? Eating Christ is acknowledging our dependence upon Him, and actively submitting ourselves to do His will in what we say and do we must be joined to Christ constantly feeding upon him and drawing sustenance from him to have real life now I think one verse that's important to to look at here is verse 57 because Jesus compares his dependence and submission to the Father to what he's talking about here of eating eating him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father so he who eats me he also shall live because of me Jesus saying I am depending upon submitting to my father and this life that I'm living here on earth now is drawn from him constantly he's saying that's what you have to do also if you're going to have life true spiritual life you've got to draw upon depend upon submit to me that's where life comes as he said before his food his sustenance was to do the will of the father Um, seems to me like it's it's a good place somehow what he said to satan there when satan tempted him to turn the stones into bread fits in here man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god jesus was living on those words constantly he was drawing upon said what i'm teaching what i'm saying what i'm doing all comes from the father And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of life that you have to live in relationship to me. You have to depend, submit, obey, believe, trust in me. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about eating the flesh and drinking his blood. Our food should be to do do the will of Christ. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood are equivalent to coming to Him, believing in Him, submitting to Him, obeying Him, abiding in Him. We have life by feeding upon Him. He's the only one that can satisfy our soul. Just the way food satisfies the physical body. If you're going to have a satisfied soul, You're going to have to come to Christ, trust in Christ, believe in Christ, submit to Christ. I believe that's the true spiritual essence of what Christ is saying here. So don't miss it by emphasizing the physical symbols that he's using, his his blood and his flesh. He's using those things to illustrate this truth of coming, believing, trusting, submitting, obeying, abiding in Him. Actually, I think the uh, interpretation uh, that we we, uh, know is right is explained to us in verse uh, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. It's not some physical flesh some physical blood. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Saying, think spiritually. See the real depth of what I'm saying here. Um, Actually, I think Isaiah was saying something quite similar 700 years before. He says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread in your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and and, and your soul shall live. He's talking about our soul living. He's talking about coming and eating. And he said what what is that well that's listening listening diligently to him and inclining your ear and coming to him well, that's uh, a few examples. You can keep on going and find many more of this type of thing of uh, the uh, examples of the spiritual nature of christ's teaching that is misunderstood if you just think on the carnal level on the earthly physical level why did Jesus teach this way? well there's probably quite a number of reasons but one of them I would say just to begin with because he was proclaiming and establishing a spiritual kingdom it's what, what Pilate didn't get you know Jesus said my my kingdom's spiritual. That's why my servants aren't fighting. He was, a, he was proclaiming and establishing a spiritual kingdom, and people were unfamiliar with that. So he, he was taking physical things that they were familiar with to illustrate things that they weren't familiar with. He's taking this realm here to tell us about a whole other realm of life. But if you stay down in this realm and try to understand his words you're not going to get it. These are just symbols. These are just just ways of him telling you about this whole other realm that he's establishing. So, he he was using these illustrations to help us understand this other realm. But then, there's another reason, and this is almost the opposite. We're told that he used parables and sometimes veiled language as a judgment on those who willingly were willingly ignorant of what he was saying, who ignored his miracles and signs and blessings that, that God had given to Israel for hundreds of years. The type of language that he used was a fulfillment of the prophetic warn, warning given to obstinate unbelief. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. So, I'm, it's it's amazing. He's saying, in one in one way, he was using these these symbols and and physical things in order to help us understand this other realm. But he was also saying things in a way that made it hard to understand for the person that didn't want to understand. Who was persistent in unbelief. So Matthew 13 and verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they did not see, and while hearing they did not hear, nor did they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah was being is being fulfilled, which says you will keep on hearing but will not understand you will keep on seeing but will not perceive for the heart of this people has become dull and their ears and with their ears they scarcely hear and then close their eyes lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and I should heal them but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they here he's saying some of the reason part of the reason I speak the way I do is a judgment on obstinate unbelief and there's a warning for us here and I think it has to do with just what what's said in the book of Hebrews, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Mm-hmm. If you start hardening your heart, pretty soon you just, you, you can't understand this book. You just can't. The self-willed, self-satisfied, self-righteous will find much of what Jesus had to say very hard to understand. He hides much of his truth from the wise and prudent, and reveals them to babes. That's, that's an amazing statement. Jesus we're talking about Jesus being the great teacher. He was such an amazing teacher, such a great teacher. That he could hide things from the worldly wise and intelligent and at the same time reveal them to babes yeah. it's incredible you can say something in a way that keeps the worldly wise person from they just cannot get it and here a, a, a child can understand it that takes incredible teaching <coughs> well one of the ways that he did this was using physical things to illustrate spiritual realities One last reason that Jesus speaks this way is that, and this is tied in with the other, it separates the genuine disciples from the hypocritical and basically insincere person. The person who desires to know the truth will ponder what Jesus says. If you want to know the truth, you'll ponder it. You'll you'll dig in. They'll pray for wisdom and understanding. They will seek his truth as if they were looking for buried treasure. And they'll persevere until they get some help from what Jesus said. They're not going to be put off. Now the the, uh, hypocrite, the insincere person, they'll read it and say, Oh, I don't get that but it doesn't matter to him, you see. But that's not the way it is with a person who wants to know the truth. They'll dig in until they uncover the meaning of his words. They'll do the hard spiritual thinking that compares Scripture with Scripture and combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words until they get understanding. Some of these things that Jesus said, it's not just there on the surface. It's down underneath that you find the real meaning. It's, it's true. Some of his teachings are obscure and difficult to understand. Jesus did it that way because it's going to separate the true disciple from the hypocrite. Well, in all of this, I think it should be obvious that we need the spirit of truth to open spiritual truth to us. It takes the work of the spirit. So may God help us to understand what Christ said, the greatest teacher that ever lived, the one who was truth himself, the source and embodiment of truth, I'll say this, just in general, you won't truly understand the Bible unless you understand and know him. You will not understand the Bible. I mentioned that he said, you you don't understand now, but you will understand later, speaking to his disciples. Well, you see, one of the reasons that that was the case, let's turn to Luke chapter 24. This will be our... Last verse here, Luke twenty-four and verse forty-five says, "Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures." This is Christ with his disciples after the resurrection. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that was not just true for them at that time. That's true for all of us, every person, every believer. Only he can open our minds to understand his words. So I said the title of this is Understanding Jesus. Do you understand Jesus? Do you understand what he said? Do you understand his words? If you do, you are a blessed person. God has blessed you. He's blessed you with a spiritual understanding, with a spiritual mind, with a new heart. You've been born again. You have a spiritual nature. Well, you say, but there's things I don't understand. The question is, do you really want to understand? Because if you really want to understand, you're also a blessed person. You're not going to be put off because some of these things seem to be obscure and difficult. You're going to dig in and keep digging and keep praying and keep asking God to open your mind to understand the Scriptures. That's a blessed person also. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our minds to understand the Scriptures. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be our instructor, our teacher, We ask as we open your word, you would open our minds. We ask that these things that you show us would not just be something that we perceive, get a hold of intellectually, but that they then would be our very life, our food. Our drink. We thank you for the promise that if we ask and seek and knock, you'll hear us and answer. So help us to do that in things with, that are still unclear to us. Help us to keep asking and seeking and knocking and trusting.